It's good to see you here this morning. It's always good to be together with our church family to worship God and, and praise Him together. Last week we began our study in the little letter of 1 John. And so kind of gave you a, a little homework assignment. So how many of you read 1 John at least once this week? Okay, that's kind of like the new commercials. That's okay. That's just okay. Appreciate those of you that did. Take you about 10 minutes probably to read the entire book of, of 1 John. If you break it up into chapters, it'll take you about two minutes to read chapter 1. Uh, so you could do that, however you do it. I would encourage you to read this little letter because you will get more from our study if you read it on your own. Because it is impossible for a preacher, any preacher, not just me, not just my inadequacies, but it's impossible for any preacher to really try and make lessons that reach every individual individually. I know that's horrible, but you get the point. And so if you read and already know where we're going, already know what we're going to talk about, you already have an idea of how these fit into your life and how these scriptures affect your life and, and what's going on around you. So I encourage you to do that. Last week, we looked at, first of all, John's four reasons for writing the book. He says, first of all, in chapter one and verse four, he says, I write these things or we write these things to make our joy complete. And then in chapter two and verse one, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And then in chapter two and verse 26, he writes, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then in chapter 5 and verse 13, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have life or eternal life. And so we, we know from these four verses just, just where John is wanting to get to. Kind of what, what he's wanting to talk about with his readers. Why he spent the time to write this letter. And then last week, we also looked at kind of some things that uh, uh, are going to, to envelop the letter of 1 John. And the first thing we noticed was that doctrine matters. It doesn't, you know, I know our world does not like that idea. There is no absolute right or wrong. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. And John comes along and absolutely refutes that notion. He says it absolutely does matter what you believe. And he goes so far as to call those who were teaching these other things, called them all kinds of things, but ultimately called them antichrist. Woo! I don't know that you can get any worse than that. And he said, there are those who are trying to lead you astray with these false teachings. Don't you believe it? And one of the reasons that doctrine matters is because if our doctrine is wrong, then that is liable to lead to our lifestyle being wrong. And that was the case about these false teachers. We talked a little bit, and we'll get back just in a minute, that they felt like there was a total separation between the spiritual and the physical. And you could be 
spiritually in fellowship with God and do whatever you wanted to out in the world. You could do whatever you wanted to out uh, with the body, with the flesh, you know, because what you did did not affect your relationship with God. John comes along and he says, oh, yes, it does. He says, in fact, if you say that you have fellowship with God and you continue to sin, you are a liar. Whoo, we got antichrist and liars. Okay, John, John's not mincing any words here. And the third thing we talked about, and you know, I know for most of us, I was the same way. When I think about first John, I think about chapter four and chapter five, where he talks about love. Oh, how great the father's love he's lavished on us. You know, we're called his children and, and you know, we cannot love our, our God if we don't love our brothers and, and all this about love. And this is the, in the same little letter that he called some people antichrist and other people liars. Because if our doctrine doesn't matter or is wrong, if our lifestyle is wrong, then we can be the most loving people in the world. It's not going to matter. Now, he makes sure to teach us that the opposite is true. We may be absolutely right about our doctrine. We may be absolutely right about our lifestyle in the sense that we've got sin lined out here and I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that. We can have all that lined out. But if we don't have love, then it means nothing. In fact, what John really says is, if we don't have love for each other, then our doctrine isn't right. If we don't have love for each other, our holiness, our lifestyle isn't right. We may think it is, but it's not. And then he goes on to the very end and he tells us that confidence matter. I write these things to you who believe so that you may hope. So that you may presume so that you may get so that you may know that you have life eternal wow that is such a breath of fresh air isn't it we don't have to walk around wondering "Eh, are you saved maybe depends on you know how this week went no john says i want i write these things because i want you to know Now, some of you and some of me grew up kind of thinking, "Woo, that's a bit egotistical. That's a bit bold to say that I know I have eternal life. In fact, in the high school class this morning, we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 that says, those of you who think you stand firm, watch out. Lest you fall. Okay. Wait a second. How do I reconcile that? With I want you to know. That you have life eternal. Are John and Paul somehow kind of at odds with each other? No. Paul was talking about sin. Paul was talking about if you think you're too good for sin, if you think you've got it all figured out that sin can't get in your life, if you think, as we talked about in the, in the high school class and I talked about, if you think that the idea of being a strong Christian is seeing how close to the line you can get without going over, you better watch out. 
Because that's when you're going to fall. John is talking about, we do not live in this state of uncertainty in our relationship with God. It is not on again, off again. We can know through our faith, and not because of our goodness, not because of anything, but because of the, the sacrifice of Jesus and our faith and our belief in him. We can know that we have eternal life. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, that was last week's lesson. For those of you that were, you're thinking, can we get a move on? And so we're going to do that. I want to ask a question. First of all, does anybody know who Frank Buckles is? Frank Buckles. Get off your phones. Frank Buckles was the last surviving World War I veteran. He was the last known World War I veteran. Last World War I veteran. When Tom Brokaw saw how quickly those veterans of World War II were dying, he wanted to rapidly try and chronicle those things that went on and the things that they had experienced. And he dubbed them, I think he kind of coined the phrase, but it's become kind of well-known, you know, the greatest generation. Those who grew up in and around the, the uh, Depression and, and through World War II and then the rebuilding of, of America after World War II. And he saw that many of these people were dying quickly. And he wanted to make sure that by videotape and writing and all these different things to chronicle those experiences that they had had. Well, you see, John is Frank Buckles of the disciples. John is the last of his generation. It seems to be fact, and it's also part of Christian tradition, that John was the last disciple to die, and the only, the last apostle to die, the only one to live to an old age and die of kind of natural causes. Presumed that John is writing this late into the first century. Long after all the other gospels have been written, long after all the other letters of Paul and, and the others have been written, And you kind of get the idea that John is just the grandfather of Christianity at this point. And that people just wanted to hear from him. And we see that not only in this, but also in the the gospel. And so he begins the prologue, we call it, or maybe we call it, in chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
Now, you will remember, and you're probably more familiar, with the prologue to John's gospel. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And we see in the prologue in 1 John, that John is already beginning to battle some of these false teachings. Already beginning to battle some of the inconsistencies in the holy life that God has called us to. John said that which was from the beginning... And in John, the gospel of John, he says, in the beginning, a direct quote. From where? The first verse of the Bible. All the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, was John a plagiarist? John couldn't think of anything original. So he had to steal from Moses. Did John think that his readers wouldn't connect what he was saying with the very first words of the Holy Scriptures? John knew exactly what he was doing. You see, John's gospel, just like this letter of 1 John, was written much later than the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was also during a time when this heresy, this false teaching was beginning to take effect. And there were some who said that Jesus was not God's son all the time. He became God's son. Maybe some would say at birth. Maybe some would say at Jesus' baptism. Others might say somewhere else in there. But John, in both his gospel and in this letter, wanted to make sure that his readers did not, for one minute, forget that Jesus was the Son of God from the beginning. He was not part of creation. He was the creator, John says. By him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Okay. So God's from the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Word and God from the beginning. And then in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning. John was just re, 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 reiterating, reinforcing. That's the word I was looking for. Reiterating is good. But have you ever iterated? See, that's the thing I don't understand about that word. In order to reiterate, you got to iterate. And I've never heard anybody iterate. Okay, but enough of that. I don't know where that came from. But John was reinforcing what his readers already knew. That Jesus was the son of God. 
The word was and is and always will be. Which then leads us to what he says next. He says, we have seen, we have looked at, and we have touched. You know, when one cannot accept or understand a concept, we have a human tendency to try and explain it with what we do understand. Isn't that the whole theory behind mythology? Greek and Roman mythology and other cultures as well. One day somebody got up early in the morning and he saw the he saw the sun rising in the east. That's the east, right? Okay. And all through the day it kept going this way and this way and this way until in the evening it set in the west. He didn't have the knowledge. He didn't have the, the education. He didn't have. The, he couldn't explain it. But there had to be an explanation. Aha! Apollos, right? Maybe. I should have looked this up. Somebody puts the sun in his chariot and drags it across the sky into the evening. Well, if you didn't know anything, well, that might make sense. Now, it doesn't to me, it doesn't to you. Somebody thought, how f- come you can only see so far out that away? That's because the earth is flat. There is nothing beyond what you can see. So if you sail beyond what you can see, you'll fall off the end of the earth. And there's still people who believe that. But anyway, that's side the point. Uh, well, if you don't know, if you well, that kind of makes sense. And so there has always been this difficulty with the incarnation of Jesus. The concept that in Jesus Christ represented all the deity of God and all the humanity of mankind. Well, if you don't understand it and you're not willing to just accept it, which is where I am in my life, then you try to explain it. And there's only one way To adequately, well, two ways, but they fit together. There's only one way to adequately explain the incarnation. You either have to diminish the deity of Jesus or diminish the humanity of Jesus. Either he wasn't really all God or he wasn't really all man. And the early gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the others... That's what they fought against or or tried to teach was that nobody doubted the humanity of Jesus. Everybody heard of Jesus. Everybody knew Jesus. They'd seen him. They'd heard about him. They knew people who'd seen him. They didn't have to be convinced that Jesus Christ was a human being. They knew he was a human being. Convince me that he's the son of God. Convince me he's the Messiah. Convince me he's the Lord. Convince me he's Christ. Through the scriptures, through the miracles. 
And so that's what the ministry of Jesus in the early gospels, in the early part of Acts was all about, was convincing people, as Peter said, on the day of Pentecost, rest assured, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Fast forward now. We're 50, 60 years later. That generation of people who had actually seen Jesus were dying out. We're now into second and third generation Christians who had never seen Jesus, who had never touched him, who never talked about him. And so now it was easier to come along and say that, yes, Jesus is the son of God, but he was never really a man. He was never really flesh and blood. He wasn't like you and me. No doubt Jesus was God's son, but what about being a man? Many have begun to deny the humanity of Jesus and teach a false doctrine on that belief. And that's what John was combating here. That's why he uses these words. Our eyes saw him. Our hands touched him. Jesus was not a spirit. Jesus was not a ghost. Jesus was not a 3D hologram. Or whatever it is they do in Hollywood. An avatar. I don't know. Is that something? I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't know. He was, he was a real live human being. And John says, I witnessed him. I touched him. I heard him. I talked to him. This doctrine is important because it goes straight to the heart of our salvation. The writer of Hebrews, when we were in Hebrews, we were already dealing with this. The writer of Hebrews, I think, already was beginning to deal with some of this false teaching. That is why we had that section in 2 verses 12 and on and 4 verses 12 and on. That says the son had to be made just like his brothers. His brothers were made of flesh and blood so he too, so that he could be just like them. So that when he was tempted, he was tempted just like you and I are. You see, it goes to the heart of our salvation. Because if Jesus Christ was not really a man, then he could not really be the atoning sacrifice for sin. Sin had to be atoned for by a perfect sacrifice. And if Jesus could just... Call on his godness anytime he got into temptation. Anytime things got tough, he could just say, man, off with the humanity, on with the godness. Then does that really make him a justifiable sacrifice? A real perfect sacrifice for our sins. He had to experience all of that just like you and I. So he could be the the perfect, acceptable, atoning sacrifice. He also had to be made like us so that he could be the great high priest. Who understands us in our times of difficulty. Have you ever had somebody try to say that they sympathize with you? They understand what you're going through, but you know they really do not. Maybe you've been going through, maybe you've been through, you know, I went through this a little bit back in the day. You know, 
You're struggling financially. And you get to the point, you know, are you going to buy groceries or are you going to pay the light bill? Any of you ever been there? You know? I mean, and then you have somebody who does not have a care in the world as far as money is concerned. Offer you advice. And sometimes you just want to look and seriously, (laughs) you know, are, are you, are you, do you even know really what I'm going through? Now you may be surprised. You may see them now and think that they, but years before they may very well have been in the same place you were. But right then and there, you can't get it in your mind that they understand. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was a man and he understands what we are going through because he went through the same thing. Well, if he didn't go through it the same way I did, then he really can't understand. He really can't sympathize. But he does. And then he says that we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim it. We reach others the same way. By witnessing to what God has done as our lives. God is to be experienced. Not just believed. John chapter 1. Remember that? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Skip down to John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh. Made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. Nothing has changed. No, we can't see Jesus like John did. We're not going to touch him like John did. But we ought to be able to see his glory like John did. We ought to be able to see it in the world around us. We ought to be able to see it in each other. We ought to be able to see it in the blessings that God has poured out on us. Have you seen his glory? Have you experienced him in your life? Can you testify to what he's done with you for you? Thirdly, he says that we have fellowship with each other and with the Father and the Son. Fellowship is an important word in the first chapter. Four times in the first ten verses, John uses the word fellowship. The word is a Greek word. You've probably heard it. It's one of, the, it's one of those Greek words that we are, like agape, you know, okay. But the word is koinonia. And it means an intense union, a commonness commonness and intimate relationship fellowship was and is important to the church in acts chapter 2 and verse 42 after the 3,000 were baptized it says and they remained steadfast in the apostles doctrine and teaching and in the fellowship that article that little bitty article the is there wasn't just made up the fellowship doesn't that make that something a little more special The fellowship, ooh. Our fellowship is not an option with one another. We kind of look at it that way. Our fellowship is not just some byproduct. Our fellowship is vital and important to us as God's people. Just as God is to be experienced, so is the church. Not to be attended, not to be joined, not to be viewed, but to be experienced. Our fellowship with each other is vital and our fellowship with God is vital as well. And lastly, he says that we, he writes these things to make our joy complete. When we have fellowship with God 
and fellowship with one another, we receive a joy that cannot be taken away. True joy is not dependent on perfect circumstances. It is John's readers were suffering difficulties. They were undergoing persecutions. They had false teachers right there in the midst of them. Yet he wants their joy to be complete. The world offers us partial joy, temporary joy, superficial joy. But complete joy comes from knowing that we are in fellowship with God. Complete joy comes in a confident faith that through his, the word of life, we have eternal life. So just in the prologue, John sets the stage for the rest of the letter, but gives us something that's important that we can never forget. Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus is, was, and always will be God. Jesus also was man. To be touched, to be seen, to be heard. And that is important doctrine to help us in our lives through our faith in the son we have fellowship with other each other and with god if you're here this morning and there's some way that we can help and encourage you in our fellowship as we fellowship with each other we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing we hope by listening to this lesson you have found a better understanding of the bible And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.